This is Ryan Pierce, host of Completely Serious. Thanks for listening to the following broadcast on Public House Media. Hey, it's Baxter Colburn here from Public House Media. Did you know that we just added a store here at Public House Media? No, I'm not talking about a grocery store where you can go buy apples or bananas or peanut butter, which are all fantastic, especially when peanut butter's on all of those. Anyway, we've added a store here at Public House Media so you can not only come and represent your favorite podcast network, but also represent your favorite shows as well, too. Just go over to phmedia.com. And look in the top right corner where you'll see the, the button that says store. Click on that and you can search through all of our great products. Or if you go to our Facebook page, Public House Media, you can see on the left-hand side a tab that says store. All of our products are listed there as well, too. It's the new Public House Media store. You don't want to miss it. It is fantastic. Buy some of that great swag to support your favorite shows and to support Public House Media. Check it out today. This is Rachel Mullins, host of Hashtag No Filter Friday, here on Public House Media. Thanks for listening to the following broadcast on Public House Media. Once you're done with this episode, I hope you'll come check out my new show, Hashtag No Filter Friday, where we talk about all of the sexual misconduct allegations swirling around Hollywood. A new show drops every Friday at 8.30 Pacific Standard Time. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode of Hashtag No Filter Friday. Thanks again for checking out the following broadcast on Public House Media. The latest headlines. If they go out and wipe the floor with the Texans, I might buy in. The insightful interviews. Whitney McIntosh, SB Nation. I was more impressed with John Carlo. Especially when you consider Aaron Judge's all-star club. The hottest takes. Yeah, Saquon Barkley had a great game against Iowa, but he hasn't done much. Can all be found on Press, Press Row. Row. Here's your host. It's clearly time for a change. It's only a matter of time before it happens. Christian Heimel. What up, everybody? Welcome on Press Row. Once again, Christian Imel here with you, broadcasting as part of the Public House Media Network on this April 5th, 2018. It is Masters Thursday as the first major of the golf season set to begin in Augusta, Georgia. Here, if you're already listening and you're already maybe watching the Masters, uh, or if you're up early enough to catch the show prior to the first round teeing off, Tiger Woods is back, as is Phil Mickelson. Uh, two of the favorites in the tournament, and we're going to speak with Steve Demiglio of USA Today Sports. He is in Augusta. We're going to talk to him in about oh, maybe 10, 12 minutes and get his thoughts on exactly the chances of guys like Tiger, guys like Phil uh, Mickelson at 47 years old would become the oldest major, cha- the oldest Masters champion, uh, surpassing Jack Nicholas. Tiger, if he's able to return, what does that mean for him for the sport of golf? Um, as well as, you know, who who else could actually be there? Is Bubba Watson, uh, who just played tremendously down uh, in match play a couple weeks ago. Guys like Rory McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, Jason Day, uh, and, and a couple of others. Who who might be those best guys to to watch out for as you're watching the uh, Masters coming up this weekend? And I I love I love the Masters. I really do. I was born in Augusta, Georgia, and, and it always has a, a soft spot for me. Um, even though I haven't been to a Masters in like 27, 28 years, whatever it may be. So uh, always enjoy it, uh, always fun to watch. And honestly, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this in about, like I said, about 10, 12 minutes with Steve Demiglio. It's better for golf when Tiger Woods is good. So uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. We'll also get into UFC 223 coming up on Saturday. 
was supposed to be Khabib Ferguson that we were finally uh, going to actually have this happen. It was finally going to, uh, you know, be for the 155 belt, and then announced on Sunday uh, that Tony Ferguson with a knee injury is not going to be able to to fight. Uh, we all thought it was an April Fool's joke. It was not. Max Holloway is stepping in, going to come up a weight class from 145 where he is the the champ, and he's going to move up to 155 to fight for the belt there as well. And we're going to speak with Wade Groot. Wade Groot's Fight Corner uh, on Ming Magazine, which you can check out on mingmag.com. We're going to talk to him a little bit about what this means for the lightweight division, what this card means for the lightweight division, and, and the future uh, of the UFC in terms of, of the 155ers. So uh, we'll find all of that stuff out in just a little bit. But we're going to begin today with some of the headlines. Um, obviously this week, you know, Villanova uh, having their victory parade uh, in Philadelphia, their second championship in the last uh, three seasons, which when you watch that championship game on Monday night, you knew um, almost, uh, not immediately, but you knew at halftime that game was over. The way Dante DiVincenzo was playing, the way that uh, Duncan Robinson for Michigan was just struggling to hit shots, um, Mo Wagner struggled against Omari Spellman. You just knew that that game was over at halftime, uh, and congratulations to them. I don't want to recap because it's been four days since the championship, so I'm not going to recap all these points and, and, and you know parts of the actual game that really makes sense. What I'd rather do is talk to you guys about the future of college basketball because now we're into the to a really interesting part of the sport where over the next really six months until practice begins uh, and opens up again in mid-October where you're going to see, I, I don't really know what we're going to see 100%, but it's going to be a little unfortunate uh, what I what I hope we don't see is an immediate and drastic change to the way recruiting happens in college basketball. Because what happened last October, what happened six months ago, was the fact that obviously the FBI scandal comes out with the recruiting, which leads to Rick Pitino's uh, demise, which leads to Tom Jurek's demise at Louisville, leads to 10 people being arrested, including four assistant coaches in college basketball at high major schools, you know, Oklahoma State, Auburn, um, you, what happened the week before the tournament with Arizona State and Sean Miller, uh, Miles Bridges, and a number of others, uh, and, and all the revelations there. Um, my, my fear is that Mark Emmert and company at the NCAA are going to have a total and drastic overcorrection. And this is not something that you can fix in a year. This is something that needs a lot of time, it needs a lot of experts, and it needs a lot of gradual change. This is not something that should immediately be uh, attempted to be wiped out. Um, and, and one of the reasons, I've said it before, Mark Emmert needs to resign. He's one of the biggest issues. He is the systematic failure because the NCAA is not a governing body. It's a marketing tool for... Uh, these universities for these colleges and their athletic programs. And Mark Emmert is at the head of that. So, in my opinion, he is the biggest problem. Uh, he has enabled this, he has allowed this to happen because there is no true governing. And when you sit there and say that the NCAA is going to punish a guy like, uh, a team like Louisville, a program like Louisville, and, and vacate 2013 um, because of an escort, uh, you know, as an improper benefit, but you do nothing for North Carolina that had 20 years of academic fraud, um, you yourself are a fraud, and you yourself are the problem, and that's what Mark Emmert has been. So, not to get on that high horse, but I really, really hope that the NCAA, that the 
board of directors, the board of trustees, the presidents, the chancellors of these schools don't get together this summer and try to have an immediate and drastic correction of it because it's going to make things worse. So I really hope they take their time with it. I really hope that they figure out something. I, I don't know. Get rid of the one and done. I'm fine with that. If a kid thinks he's talented enough, like DeAndre Ayton, uh, Marvin Bagley, um, R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson, who are going to be going to Duke in the fall, those four guys could probably play in the NBA. If they think that they're quality enough, go for it. Go. Go to the NBA. Do that. Um, I'm fine with it. If you if you don't you know, go and you want to go to college and you want to come out after your freshman year, your sophomore year, your junior year, fine. I mean, I'm a big advocate for making it like baseball. If you want to come out after your uh, fr- after your high school senior season and you want to enter the draft, enter the draft. But here's the difference with baseball. Baseball is two things. Number one, you can either be you can be drafted after out of high school, or you you're not eligible until after your junior season. Now, here's the other interesting part: you can get drafted and say no and decide to continue your education. You see guys getting drafted three times in their career before they actually go to a team by three different teams. It's just how it works. I firmly believe that because the NBA only has two rounds, if a player like say you know Marvin Bagley came out, let's let's not take him. Let's take R.J. Barrett, who is one of the top prospects in the country, and one of the reasons why Duke is a favorite to win, according to Vegas, to win the championship next year. You take R.J. Barrett and say he wants to go to the NBA. He goes into the draft. He doesn't get drafted. Just because he declared for the NBA draft should not automatically exclude him from going to Duke. If he goes to the NBA, if he declares for the draft and doesn't get drafted or gets drafted in the second round where he's not guaranteed a contract, he should be allowed to go to Duke. That's the bigger problem I see with the NBA. It's not the one and done. It's the fact that these kids, once they declare for the NBA draft, they're not allowed to go back to school. Why can't they? You know, unless you're going to guarantee their contracts all the way through, if you're drafted in the second round and you're a junior, why not go back to school? Why not go back and finish your degree? So that, that to me, is, is what I'd really like to see change, is if you want to get rid of the one and done, fine, but give these kids, because not every high school kid, maybe, what, three, four high school kids in the country every single year could probably play in the NBA? Maybe. I'd like to see them expand the draft to maybe four or five rounds. Those kids make it... Not an NBA draft, but like make it like a, a G League draft, you know, a developmental player draft, because um, that's what it is for Major League Baseball. It's the Major League Baseball first year player draft. It doesn't mean they're automatically going to the majors. Sure, guys like Bryce Harper, Dansby Swanson, uh, Steven Strasburg, those guys are going to end up in the majors a lot sooner than a guy who's drafted in the twelfth round. So why not do the same for the NBA? Sure, guys like you know Zion Williamson, Miles Bridges, Jalen Brunson, they're going to get drafted. Wendell Carter uh, are going to get drafted in the first round, and they're probably going to go straight to the NBA. But those guys drafted in the second, third, fourth round, they should go to the G League. It expands the G League. It makes it more legitimate. And then if a kid isn't, you know, guaranteed an NBA contract because he's not drafted in the first round and he wants to go back to school, let him. Let him go back to school. You shouldn't ruin a kid's future just because he doesn't get the hand that he was hoping for. Let him go back to school if he doesn't like his draft stock outside the first round. First round is a guaranteed NBA contract. If he gets drafted past that, let them go back to school. So that's just my thought. Um, and, and I really hope that, again, the Board of Trustees across the board, um, across the country, don't have a major overcorrection coming up here this summer because this tournament made us all forget about all that stuff. Loyola Chicago, Marshall, UMBC, 
um, that Kansas Duke game in the Elite Eight. Those games made us, and this tournament made us forget about all the bad stuff that happened, all the bad stuff that is going to happen in college basketball. And I really hope that they take their time and consider every possible option before just going out and straight trying to fix it because it's not going to work. Um, that being said, you know who, who knows what's going to happen, and and, and I really fear you know, that we're going to start talking about the NBA draft and if Jalen Brunson comes out or if, if Jalen Brunson stays, is Villanova automatically the number one team next year? Uh, we're going to start talking about how good Duke's going to be with R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson, Cam Reddish, Trey Jones. Um, we're going to talk about, you know, Kansas and, and Duke and, and the players and and, uh, and Michigan, the players they return in North Carolina and all that stuff. We're going to get start talking about them and we're going to forget what happened. It's going to continue to happen because this has been going on for 30 years, these scandal, these, these recruiting violations. They've been going on for 30 years. This is just the first time the FBI got involved. So I don't want us to forget, but at the same time, I don't want us to try too hard to overcorrect it all. Um, and, and I certainly hope that the NCAA and Mark Emmert get their act together because they're just as much to blame as these schools, as these universities, as these apparel companies. They are just as much to blame because they are enabling all of this to actually happen. A lot to come up here on the show. Of course, Wade Groot of Ming Magazine, Wade Groot's Fight Corner, and MingMag.com. He'll join us to talk UFC 223 coming up this Saturday. Uh, your listener questions as well. We're going to talk baseball because it is baseball season. We're one week into the season, and there are some big-time headlines already. Shohei Otani with a tremendous debut uh, for the Angels, a uh, home debut for the Angels, not only on the mound but at the plate too. He might actually be able to pull off this two-way player thing. Yankee fans not as happy with John Carlo now as they were at the start of the season. Uh, and then, of course, your listener questions as well. It's all coming up here on Press Row. Listen to every episode and get the latest shows sent right to you. Subscribe to Press Row on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com, and Stitcher.com. Or visit us online at www.thephmedia.com. This is Press Row with Christian Heimel, a public house media podcast. Welcome back on Press Row. Christian Heimel here with you guys. It's an exciting time in the world of golf. The major championships are back upon us. The Masters beginning here today on April 5th. Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, favorites going into this weekend despite uh, their age and to help us break it all down and just how real their odds are. Steve Demiglio, USA Today Sports golf writer, back on the program once again. Steve, thanks so much for the time. You and I talked, uh, I believe it was back in December when Tiger was playing uh, in Bermuda and, and we talked about him and how he looked, but how have things progressed over the last couple of months to make him one of the favorites here heading into this weekend? Well, he has certainly uh, exceeded expectations, including his own. He had one of the highest uh, swing speeds of the year that was clocked in the PGA Tour. That has him shocked to the point that he has no explanation for it. He's fast about it. His chipping and putting came back right away um, because now he has time to stand over putts over and over and over and hit a thousand putts. He couldn't do that before he had his uh, spinal fusion surgery. So his short game came back. He got into the rhythm of playing tournament golf very quickly. And as we saw in his last two starts in uh, Tampa and then in Orlando, he was within one stroke of the lead at, at, a, at any time, at, at a time 
shocks many onlookers that he is he is returned to basically the abyss that he was in before the spinal cane surgery, where he was in pain every day, he was bedridden on other days, and um, it's just remarkable. And he just pieced it together. He said all he needed was time, all he needed was rhythm, um, all he needed was to get used to playing tournament golf again, and he'd figure it out. And so far, he's figured it out. You know, it's kind of one of the biggest things with Tiger is that mental aspect. When he's got that confidence, what does it do to some of the other players when they see that Tiger Woods is back in the hunt? Well, we, we've we asked other players. Um, there was a time when the red shirt meant a great deal, and, and players did cave under the pressure, and players were intimidated um, even before they hit the first tee shot of the final round. But there are others that say it will still mean something. It might not mean what it meant in, in his heyday in the 2000, 2001, 2005, uh, 2009. But it's still going to mean something. And what it will definitely mean here, if he were to get in contention, and he's in that red shirt on Sunday, he'll have by far the largest and loudest gallery. And that will certainly have some type of intimidating factor on whoever's playing in front of him or whoever's playing behind him and whoever's playing with him. Um, Roy McElroy played with him in Los Angeles um, earlier this year, and he talked about all the commotion that Tiger has to go through. Well, Tiger's used to that commotion. The other players aren't. Now, this might be the best place for players not to be intimidated. Is that Augusta National? Because the only people inside the rope are the two players and the two caddies. Um, there are no, there's no 50 camera guys and 50 other reporters moving around, jostling around. Players don't have to wait for them to get through and all that. So that, at least, is in the favor of the other people if he does hit the board. And um, But it's still, it, it would mean something. And I think it would mean something to him, too. I think it would, it would give Tiger a bigger boost of confidence. Um, yes, he's done it in PGA Tour events this year. Now can he do it in a major at his favorite place to play ball? That, if he did it, that would have really get him going. Speaking with Steve D'Amiglio, USA Today Sports here. The Masters beginning today down in Augusta. And uh, you had a piece earlier this week. Tiger, not the only uh, elder statesman uh, playing well right now. Phil Mickelson looks to be one of those other favorites heading into the weekend. Oh, Phil, Phil's been on my radar for a long time. Um, first of all, I think there's only Freddie Couples, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Bernhard Lana. Those four guys know more about this golf course than maybe the entire rest of the field put together. These guys know every inch. They know how to play it. They know where to attack, when to attack, how to handle the pressure when it gets up there. Phil has been telling us for years and years, for the last few years, that he's just right there. He's close. He's close. He's close. Well, this year, for the first time in his career, he had four consecutive top six finishes. And one of those was a win in Mexico, his first win since 2013. He's hitting it as long as he's ever hit it. His confidence is right there as high as it's ever been. He loves this place. This is his favorite golf place in the whole world. Um, and that alone, as he drives down Magnolia Lane, gets his juices flowing and gets his confidence up. And he certainly could be a big factor here. How, how much, because you even wrote about it, but how much does the fact that this is the one major that is played in the same venue every single year. How much does that experience there help these guys who, who've been there a few more times? Well, it's interesting. Um, 
history isn't on the side of the elders. Um, in 81 Masters, only six players, 40 and older, have won it. Um, and it hasn't been done since 1998 when Mark O'Meara won it at, 40, at age 41. And so we, I asked a lot of these players, and Sergio Garcia, our defending champion this year, said it's like a double-edged sword. Yes, experience matters. It matters here more than any other place because you have to know where to hit it. You have to know where you can't hit it. You have to know when to attack, when to lay back. And that takes years and years and years of seasoning here at this place, especially because of the speed of the green. But the other side of that story is what the young guys don't know hasn't hurt them. There are, their nerves aren't shot. There's no scar tissue from past failures built up over the years of playing at this place where as Nick Faldo, three-time major championship, championship said, um, three-time major masters champion said, there's a nice edge of success here at Augusta on every shot. If you don't hit your number or your spot that you're looking at, instead of a three-footer or a five-foot putt, you might have 60 feet and you might be off the green facing an impossible chip. That faces the players every shot they take into the green, and that accumulates. So I think, yes, history isn't on their side, but I would much rather have experience in my pocket than playing my second or third time here. So that, to me, does give an edge to Phil, who, if he were to win this week, would become the oldest champion. He would surpass Jack Nicklaus, who won in 1986 at age 46. Tiger's got a big chance. Paul Casey has a big chance. Henrik Stenson. Ian Poulter, who just won Houston, the last-minute entry to gain the Masters, he's 42, he's got a shot. So, you know, it's the large crowd. Ben Crenshaw talked to him in Texas at the match play, and he said it's an unusually large number of players in their 40s who have a shot to win this year. And uh, that just adds to one of the many storylines going into the Masters. I almost feel like it's 2005 again. We're talking about Tiger, Phil, Sergio, Ian Poulter as as favorites going into the Masters. Where are guys like Jordan Spieth, Rory McIlroy, Bubba, um, you know Jason Day? Where are some of those other challengers that we aren't talking about because Woods and Mickelson have the headline? Well, not, those other guys aren't complaining. I, I'll tell you that. As Bubba said, as Bubba said on Sunday at the drive pitching pod, he says, "Hey, go interview Tiger, tire him out. Go go write about Tiger. Put all the pressure on him. Let me alone." But there's one guy right there, Bubba Watson. He's a two-time champion here. He certainly has the power and certainly has the touch to be a contender. It's interesting. His only top ten finishes here at the Masters were both of his wins. Um, so it's feast or famine for Bubba here. Jordan Spieth, he certainly doesn't mind not being the center of attention as he was in 2016, as he was in 2017. And he perked up in Houston. So uh, he, he might be... His game, his putting has been bothering him all year long. If he gets that in order, he certainly can win it. He could have won four Masters already. He's played in four. You know, he's gone second, second, and he won in between two second-place finishes. And last year, he was one shot out of the week going to the final round. So he's been right there. Dustin Johnson, as long as he doesn't hurt himself before the tournament, be forced to withdraw with his power and with his wedge game and with his touch on the he certainly has a major factor. He was by far the number one favorite last year. He had won his last three starts at Eagle Augusta before he hurt his spell in his rental home and wrecked his back and had to withdraw. But he's certainly there. Jason Day has won this year, and his game fits this place. He's 
as I said earlier, there's so many storylines here and so many top-level players on form right now. Um, you know, it's just it's setting up one of the most anticipated Masters. Certainly, I, I think the most anticipated Masters in 2010 when Tiger returned from Fernando uh, that I have been in. This is my 12th Masters. So, you know, it's going to be hopefully the weather cooperates. Hopefully form stays on form and we have a good boring time all the way to the Sunday's final five. A lot of us talk about Tiger Woods and his success being good for the game, good for the sport of golf. What does he have to do this weekend to really help the sport? I mean, can, is just making the cut enough, or, or does he have to go out and win the whole thing? Does he have to just be in contention? Uh, well, I think if he makes the cut, the, the viewership will, will rise on Saturday and Sunday. But when he was in contention at the Valspar Championship in Tampa, and then when he was in contention the very next week at the Arnold Palmer Invitational in Orlando, they haven't seen TV ratings like that in years. Those Sunday final TV ratings were the highest golf ratings. They surpassed every major championship played in the last two years except for the Masters. That's what Tiger does. Um, Mark Leishman, who's a very, very good player from Australia, when he was going to Orlando and he was flying out of an airport on Sunday, he said almost every TV he saw as he walked past the bars in the airport were on golf, and he says, I haven't seen that in years. That's what Tiger does. Now, if he's in contention, I wouldn't be surprised if the ratings would be higher in the early portion of the telecast on Saturday and Sunday than they would be later if he's not in contention, if he just makes the cut. But if he, man, if he, uh, if he is in contention on Sunday, we'll see TV ratings for golf like we haven't seen since he was in contention in 1997. I think they set the record for the highest golf rate in the telecast of all time. Um, that's Tiger just changes everything. He is the needle, and you can make an argument that he's the only needle. Um, he is just—he's the the one that makes the buzz just skyrocket outside of a golf fan. No one else does. How much of a chance do you realistically give? Tiger Woods this weekend uh, to potentially win another Masters? I, I give him a big chance. I had him down as the uh, fourth favorite when I had to make my picks earlier this week. Um, I had uh, Phil as my number one guy, um, Dustin Johnson two, Justin Rose three, Tiger four. Um, I really do believe he's got a chance. His power is certainly there. I know everybody's afraid about the driver. He's got that miss on the left, like he did at Orlando when he's one shot out of the lead when he pumped it out of bounds with the driver on the 16th hole. Um, of course, he's going to have to deal with that. And he, of course, he's going to have to hit more drivers here than he's hit anywhere earlier this year. But the guy knows the golf course. The guy's beaming with confidence. He has, hasn't played in the Masters since 2015. So he's excited to be here very rare times before. I, I give him a big chance. I really do. I, I, his iron play is spot on. His chipping and putting is right there. And yes, he's going to hit a few errant drivers, and that might have hurt him in the past, but you know, we had a major storm here three years ago, two years ago, I'm sorry, um, where a lot of the tree limbs fell off. And so the, the trees are thinner. Um, and that has made a difference. Players will tell you that has made a difference on on uh, trouble shots when they're in the in the woods. There's not as many low hanging limbs off of those trees.
Steve Demeglio, USA Today Sports, joining us here on Press Row. Steve, thanks a lot for the time. Enjoy the azaleas. Thank you very much, sir. All right, Steve Demiglio of USA Today Sports. And listen, I mean, he's he's right. Tiger is the needle. And um, uh, I'm rooting for him. Uh, what Personally, whether you like him or not, I don't care. But he is good for the sport. And if you want golf to survive, if you want golf to be back on a big stage and talked about uh, as outside of just the four major tournaments and just the Masters, uh, Tiger is needed. And, and I think it's great to see. I mean, we were talking about this a couple of years ago. Where it was time for you know the young guns, you know where's where's the next young wave? Jordan Spieth, Rory McIlroy, um, you know Jason Day, uh, Dustin Johnson. Where are those guys? Are they able to do this? And and to have Tiger and Phil and Henrik Stenson, you know guys all over forty, Sergio, uh, all up there, still playing at a high level and still competing. I, I think it's great for golf. I, I think it's tremendous. I'm gonna be rooting for Tiger. I. I think he's in one of the final two pairings on Sunday. I really do. I think he's one of those four guys really in contention. Um, I think Phil's right. I mean, how great would it be if Sunday the final pairing is Phil and Tiger? How great would that be? A lot of stuff to, to, to find out, and it's obviously all starting today in Augusta. Uh, I was born in Augusta. I love it. Um, it's it's one of my favorite. It's my favorite time of year uh, when it comes to golf is the Masters because it's just that much fun. So hope you guys enjoy it. Should be a fun week of golf, and we certainly appreciate Steve's time here uh, this week, uh, opening day at the Masters here. When we return, Wade Groot, Ming Magazine, Wade uh, Groot's Fight Corner will help us preview UFC 223 this weekend. This Khabib-Ferguson match is clearly cursed, but Max Holloway jumping in to fight Khabib for the 155 belt, the, the championship. We'll see how it all plays out in just a little bit on Press Row. Want to be part of the show? Go to Facebook and search Press Row Podcast Public House Media. Or find us on Twitter and Instagram at Press Row PHM. You can also email the program Press Row PHM at gmail.com. This is Press Row with Christian Heimel, a Public House Media podcast. Welcome back on Press Row, everybody. Chris and I'm here with you. An exciting weekend coming up uh, in the UFC, UFC 223 in Brooklyn. Uh, unfortunately, the headliner, Tony Ferguson and, and uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov, will not be happening uh, to the surprise of some, the shock of most of us, uh, but still a lot to discuss regarding this coming UFC bout. Wade Groot, Wade Groot's Fight Corner on Ming Magazine, mingmag.com. Uh, is here to help us break it all down. Back on the show once again. We appreciate the time. How are things? Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. It's been and, a while. Uh, yeah, it's been a while. Let's 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 dive right into probably the biggest shock. I mean, you and I were talking over the weekend. We thought it was an April Fool's joke. It turns out to be real. Unfortunately, this uh, Khabib Tony Ferguson fight seems to be cursed. As Ferguson, with an injury, no longer going to be battling for that 155 belt. And it's so disappointing, man, because, you know, I don't know how many times we were all looking forward to this, aside from the fact that, oh, it could be a possible April Fool's joke. At first, it seemed that way, but then again, we this fight has been pushed back and pushed back and pushed back, so it's like wasn't outside the realm of possibility over a freak accident. You know, much much uh, much love to Tony Ferguson. I know he really wanted to, uh, to get that fight, and I, I know, you know, these, these things happen, of course, we cannot predict injuries. Uh, 
you know, fight camp or not, but um, I'm willing to see what what's going to happen, and I can't wait for this match because Max Holloway, I got to give him all the credit in the world, man, because there's nobody – I don't think there's anybody, any fighter out there that would legitimately want to take this fight. They'll say, yeah, I'll fight to be, but deep <laughs> down, not all of them – not all of them will say, yeah, Khabib, you mean the great, the best grappler in the world coming from Dagestan? That dude that eats tiramisu and doesn't care about missing weight? I mean, he does care about missing weight, but he doesn't care about missing weight because he's done it like four or five times. But this guy, to, to, to get a sense of what Khabib is about, man, like he, got, he just holds people down and establishes his will. And I don't think that Tony, Max, Connor. They're not ready for this. They have never seen anybody quite like Khabib. And I would love to say his last name, but I will just completely murder it. So I'm just going to keep <laughs> calling him Khabib. Uh, but I, it's, it's going to be an exciting matchup no matter what, I think. But I don't think Max, with the weight cut and such short notice, is going to walk away with this. Yeah, and, and before we really get into the actual you know prediction for the fight and everything like that, how much does what's unfortunately happened to Tony Ferguson, does this kind of kill the idea of Ferguson-Khabib ever actually happening? I think I think it does, only because there's so many more guys that are down the totem pole. Mm-hmm. Like you had, uh, you know, Eddie Alvarez today, and then there's you, you have to go with the ranked positions, and I know that MMA likes to steer, especially the UFC, they don't really do uh, rankings anymore. They just go about what makes the best money, and right. I get that. It's a business. But you got to go with the guys that are healthy, um, who, are, who are going to 100% not get pulled from this fight. The, the first few times have been Khabib's fault because the guy, the guy can't make the, the weight. And I get that. He's a big dude. I mean, look at the size of his dome piece. I mean, he's huge. Yeah. He's a big guy. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it's, it's a common occurrence. And you've got to – you gotta, you gotta, uh, you got to bump up the guy that's the, that's the the best matchup. And, and you also thinking, you have to think about the business part. You have to think about what's going to make the UFC or Dana White and W and WME, excuse me, um, the most money. So there's that. So let's actually talk about it. I mean, now that Holloway jumps in here, he's going to, I mean, he's going technically up a weight class, but he's cutting a lot of weight to get to 155 here. With his mm-hmm. ability, I, I mean, with how long he's been around, I, I know he's a, he's a decent striker. He, he's got decent defense, but I mean, you're like you said, you're going up probably against the greatest grappler in the world right now in Khabib. So, what's what do you see for this actual fight happening on Saturday in Brooklyn? Well, let's first uh, before that, you have to look at what Max has done. I mean, he starts Jose at Jose Aldo twice. I mean, mm-hmm. only like. To, to another person by the, this this guy, I think he's from Dublin, Ireland. Knocked him out in 13 seconds. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Uh, I think I think he he was in, the, in a very uh, you know, I guess a limited class because not a lot not a lot of people can say they beat Jose Aldo. So you go, Max takes that confidence, goes in against Khabib. But again, he's never seen anything quite like Khabib, and I think that Khabib. As tough as Max is, and but that weight cut is rough. I mean, he's he walks around at 180, 185, and in, I'm sure, yeah, he can do that in a couple months, three, four, five months notice. But six days, 
it's going to deplete his energy. He's going to be dehydrated. And I just think Khabib is the bigger guy. He's just going to impose his will. And I think it's going to be a first round finish. Speaking with Wade Groot, Wade Groot's fight corner on Ming Magazine here. And uh, this is actually a card. When you look at this main card, it's it's kind of a lightweight card here. You've got uh, Michael Chiesa, Showtime Pettis as well, Ally Quinta uh, fighting in this in this as well. So, I mean, th- this is kind of a showcase for this division, for the lightweights. It sure is. It sure is. It's a renaissance for the little guy. Uh, I mean, back in the days, everybody wanted to see the, U- the heavyweights knock each other out and just throw bombs. But, uh, unfortunately, we have evolved into – um, if you will, we met, we just morphed into something that's, that's just deep, that's towards the little guys and the little guys are getting their due as they should. Um, they're the, they're the bread and butter now. And also the light heavyweight division has taken a, a hit too. Uh, they're, 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 that was the premier division, uh, for, for many years. And now it's uh, your, your lightweights, your middleweights, your fly, uh, fly and featherweights. So looking at that you have because they're just more exciting i mean sure you'll you want to see knockouts but you also want to see guys just going complete you know with reckless abandon and that's what you get with these guys what do you make though of of this being for the 155 belt like what do you make of, of the fact that you're going to have i mean it's connor's belt but i mean what do we make of the fact that a guy in max holloway is going to fight um, you know, for a, a different belt than, than the one that he currently owns? I'm all about defending the belt you have, um, but I'm also about being able to fight for another belt as well. Um, so Connor hasn't done that. Connor is uh, living in a fairy tale life. He just had a son. Um, he's still fresh off the Floyd fight from a year ago. And to to, and to 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 Connor's credit, man. I mean, he doesn't have to ever fight again. So right. him holding onto the belt—that's the UFC's fault. And the UFC needs to strip him. And no disrespect to Connor, I, I'm a huge fan. I love him to death. Take that belt away. Give it to somebody who's actually going to def- defend it two or three times a year. And that's what you got to do with uh, Khabib or Max Holloway. And unfortunately, I would say Tony Ferguson too. But he's not in this situation. Obviously, what we just talked about. But you have to you have to defend the belts. And that's 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 standard combat sports. They do it in boxing. If you don't if you don't defend that belt in boxing, they strip you. There's I don't they don't care who you are. Right. And, I mean that's the insane part about this is you've got two guys. You've you've got the 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 champion at featherweight and then the number two contender at lightweight fighting for the lightweight title when the interim champ is injured and the actual title holder hasn't fought in the UFC and God knows exactly. How long. So uh, it's exactly. And I... no, go ahead. No, it's a. Uh, I don't believe in interim belts. I'm I'm on the same side as guys like Joe Rogan, your Brendan Schaub, mm-hmm. your uh, your your Eddie Bravos of the world. I I don't I don't believe in in, in interim belts unless if you're in a Dominic Cruz situation where you're injured for a while. Mm-hmm. But even then, even when Dominic Cruz, he was like, okay, dude, you've been injured for way too long. We got to strip you. Yeah. Um, or if it's your John Jones situation. Uh, but the interim belts because the dude's going to be out for a couple. A couple months and you but you need a title say for instance there's a card you don't have a title belt for it so you just make up a title belt well it's like well now you have to start thinking about bringing new new weight divisions uh they i heard the rumors of them doing super middleweight or something like that which would be okay but you don't want it to turn into boxing where you have like every five pounds you have a champion you know that's 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 uh that's for boxing and that's what in my opinion has uh helped kill boxing in a way, um, 
even if for a moment that, that Floyd Connor fight helped bring it back into the limelight, but at you know, the same time, people are still are starting to forget about it again. But anyway, it's like, it seems that there's a champion, that there's a champion, a pre-champion to the champion. And it's like, it doesn't make sense. And you have, you have to think about casual fans, not fans like, you or I who really follow the sport, just ones who watch it every now and again who say, okay, he's the champion, but he's also the champion in the same weight division, but he's fighting for another belt. And it's like you, you start to get confused, and that's just it's a real turnoff if you ask me. Yeah, and then, you know, I mean, adding to all of this as well, I mean, there's, there's so much with this division because not only, as we've already talked about with this fight coming up, uh, but – You've got a guy who's not even on the card this weekend saying that he's the only guy who could beat Khabib in in one of the I, I don't want to call him an old guard of, of of the UFC, but one of the quote unquote legends in Eddie Alvarez. He has got a lot of mileage on him between him being in Bellator, those fights with Michael Chandler, and him coming over and getting starched by Conor McGregor. Um he he's not. I wouldn't say he's the gatekeeper. Eddie Alvarez is just as good as he was ten years ago. He can beat anybody, anytime, any place, anywhere. However, again, no one in the division has seen anyone like Khabib, and I don't think Eddie has what it takes to beat Khabib because Khabib, they 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 he doesn't get enough credit for his striking, and I think his striking is pretty decent. Mm-hmm. It's not on Eddie Alvarez's level, but I think where Eddie has as, as great of a striker he is, Khabib is better at being a grappler. So, and he's so strong and he's so big and he, he can take a, sh- he can take punches. I mean, he took a couple of shots um, in his last fight. Uh, he t- from my, no, from Michael Johnson, Michael Johnson peppered him with a couple of good yeah. shots and it didn't even phase him. Cause look at that cement block of a dome piece he has. He's not feeling anything. He just comes rushing in with his hands down and guess what? Nobody knows how to stop it. And once he holds you down, he's so heavy hit that he's going to hold you down and just press you up against the cage and beat on you. And no one has an answer for that. And he's 25 and 0 for a reason. And I, again, I love Eddie Alvarez. I think he's a warrior. I think he's had some classic uh, fights, but those classic fights have put mileage on him. I just don't think he has what it takes to beat Khabib. I think he can beat Max Holloway. I think he can beat Tony Ferguson. I think even if he fought Connor again, he might have a chance at Connor, but I don't see him beating Khabib, and I don't think anybody's going to beat Khabib for a very long time should he uh, pass Max Holloway. Wade Groot of uh, Wade Groot's Fight Corner on Ming Magazine joining us here on Press Row to talk UFC 223 coming up. We've already discussed Holloway and Khabib uh, a little bit here, but it's not the only title fight going on as we do have nope. uh, a rematch on the women's strawweight division. Rose Namajunas and JJ, I won't even attempt to, to say her last name, but <laughs> trying to get that title back. She wants it bad, but Rose, Rose is a bad woman. Yeah, Rose is, I've never seen anyone so mentally tough as her. Because if you see a, someone who's jawing in your face and saying some really crazy things to you, as a, as a, as a human being, we have this knee-jerk reaction to either defend ourselves, yell back, and get all emotional. I don't know where Rose was. When she did that mentally the first time, she was, I think she traveled to another dimension, uh, but she was say, saying our, the Lord's Prayer, and I guess that put her somewhere in another realm, and she wasn't even there. Uh, I don't know. But Rose took that energy and turned it into the ring, 
or excuse me, the octagon and did the unthinkable. And no one was expecting that. We were like, ah, you mean that little girl from the ultimate fighter? Ah, you know, she's like, we were, we, we, we just dismissed her. And then all of a sudden she shaves her head and she's talking, she starts speaking in tongues. You're like, what is she doing? This girl's crazy. And then she goes and just destroys the longest reigning women's champion of all time. And it's, in my opinion, it's probably the most anticipated, I would say not even women, just rematch of all time. One of the most anticipated rematches of all time. Because you had someone who did the unthinkable, did the, the Rocky versus Apollo kind of thing. And this is where we're at. And it's going to bring, it's going to, I think it's going to put butts in seats. This, I think this, this fight alone, I think the Tony, the Tony fight with Khabib was going to, was going to help the UFC, uh, put butts in seats, but I think this fight now is going to be the main attraction. Um, it's just one of those once-in-a-lifetime fights where you get to see who who has learned from their, their, their defeat or who has gotten better since they became champion. And I'm, in my honest opinion, I think, I think that uh, Johanna has finally found her kryptonite, and I think it's, uh, I think it's uh, Thug Rose. So. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about someone who held the, you know, held the belt for two and a half years, uh, in JJ, and, and then losing it the way she did to Rose in that first round knockout. So it should be a lot of fun this weekend. What's the the one fight we haven't spoken about yet that you're most intrigued to watch? Um, the most intrigued, the most intrigued for me is uh, I want to see Al. I'm a huge fan of his Al Iaquinta versus Paul Felder because I'm uh, oh Iaquinta over here. Excuse me, I was mispronouncing his name. Iaquinta. He is a guy who has had some issues with the UFC as far as contract obligations and then he decided he wanted to go be a real estate agent um that's one fight i want to see because he is dynamite in the octagon absolutely just one of the best all-around fighters but that's great but i want to see anthony showtime pettis and michael chiesias or kessia um you got two one anthony pettis classic striker taekwondo did the showtime kick against uh Vincent Henderson yep. and the last WC fight that was amazing. Um, that was that was a long time ago. Uh, now we got this up and comer who he was an alternate alternate fighter uh, finalist. Um, he just I think he lost to Kevin Lee. You, you, I think you remember that controversial stoppage yep. where he was um, quote unquote choked or not choked. We don't really know, but he's an excellent jujitsu guy. Um, I would love to see this. I think uh, Kiesa chokes him out. That's the, that's the the most, I guess, underrated fight that I want to see. Wade Group Ming Magazine joining us here. Wade Group Fight Corner. You can check it out. All of his thoughts and and uh, about the fights, about what's going on in the world of fighting. Tell us a little bit about Ming Magazine for those who. I mean, we know we've talked about it before here. I know I write for you guys mm-hmm. a, a little bit, but tell us a little bit more about it. Okay, sure. Uh, so Ming was started by me and a few friends back in. 2017 that's we're just uh we just made a year so congratulations to us happy anniversary uh we are here to promote we are here to promote men being men we believe that men are being taught to be weak and over-reliant on others we have forgotten what it means to be a man i think that men throughout the last 40 years or so have forgotten specific skill sets that are useful and no longer seek the knowledge to better themselves our goal is to bring those skills and desires or desire for self-reliance back. We're, we're not religious or political in nature. We just merely seek the betterment of men from the PC neo-Marxist ideals that, that are killing our society uh, as a whole. That's what we're about. 
Well, we appreciate it, and happy anniversary. It's been a lot of fun over the last year, and uh, you know, have some fun with the fights this weekend. Oh, definitely, for sure, man. You too. All right, Wade Groot, Wade Groot's Fight Corner, Ming Magazine. You guys can check it out there. Listen, going to be an interesting fight weekend here. Um, uh, it's really unfortunate that Ferguson is, is injured and, and wish him the best in his speedy recovery, but this lightweight division has, has taken on a soap opera mentality here with Connor um and not fighting at all so it'll be interesting to see what happens uh khabib i think uh, i agree with way there he he wipes the floor with him um and, and it'll be you know very difficult to kind of watch but thug rose going up against jj that'll be kind of the main event in my opinion it'll be a lot of fun to watch so hopefully you guys enjoy it as well uh when we come back we'll touch on your guys's uh listener questions as always we appreciate that and then uh some parting words for one of my favorite sports is as the season has come to a close in college basketball with Villanova winning their second title in the last three years. All coming up on Press Row. Listen to every episode and get the latest shows sent right to you. Subscribe to Press Row on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com, and Stitcher.com. Or visit us online at www.thephmedia.com. This is Press Row with Christian Heimel, a public house media podcast. Yeah, we're just young, dumb, and broke, but we still got love to get while we're young, dumb, young, young, dumb, and broke, young, dumb, young, young, dumb, and broke, young, dumb, young, young, dumb, and broke, young, dumb, broke, high school Back on Press Row, Christian and I will here with you. Final segment of the day, April 5th, 2018. So happy to have you guys as a part of the show. Big thanks, of course, to Steve Demiglio of USA Today Sports and Wade Groot of Ming Magazine, Wade Groot's Fight Corner, joining us here today. Now we get to the fun part uh, of the show. We'll get to your guys' listener questions in just a little bit, but I do want to mention a, a couple of things that I saw that were kind of uh, interesting and just, you know, I know a lot of people have been baseball's been getting a rough rap over the last couple of years. Um, whether it's because of the speed of the game, whether it's because uh, pace of play, the fact that it's not really high scoring that much. Uh, there's too much of it on. Um, you, you can't see every single game, whatever it is, or the fact that baseball does a really poor job of marketing its players, which we talked about a little bit last season. Um, but there's still just it, it's one of those sports baseball that it, it, it imitates life or it baseball is more easily Hollywood than anything else because sometimes the things that happen would only happen in the movies and that's what makes baseball so great you know for instance I don't know if you guys saw it a little over a week ago but the final regu- uh, spring training game for Toronto they always play it in Montreal um, where the Expos used to be what now become the the, the Washington Nationals and they play a game in Montreal, and they were playing, I forget who it was, but Vlad Guerrero Jr., who his father, of course, the Hall of Famer, um, played in Montreal at the beginning of his career and was an absolute stud and was so tremendous before he moved to went on to L, uh, L.A. But Vlad Guerrero Jr. wears his dad's number in Montreal and then hits a walk-off home run. I mean, that, that's, that's awesome. I mean, that, that's tremendous stuff. And then on opening day, John Carlos Stan in his first Yankee at bat hits a home run. Um, you know, it, it's kind of storybook. That that's the beauty of baseball. Baseball is such a storybook a storybook sport that it, it just it's hard to deny 
the the awesomeness of it because you see those type of things and you just wonder how these type of things can happen um and it's it's just so nice and so much fun to see and um you know similar stuff like that it, it just happens all the time you know Bill, it, it's it's the line in moneyball how can you not be romantic about baseball um and so a couple of things that I saw with regards to baseball because you just see some awesome things Shohei Otani this two-way player uh, from Japan, uh, they called him the Japanese Babe Ruth. Everybody was surprised when it was the uh, Angels that ended up getting his his deal and, and bringing him on there. And we were all wondering, is he actually going to be able to do this? Is he going to be able to play both ways? Is he going to be able to you know, be that kind of talent here in the United States? And he's kind of proved it over the first week of the season. I mean, you look at his major league debut on the mound, and he goes six innings, three runs, which is a quality start, six strikeouts, gets the win in his first ever Major League start. And then, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but on Tuesday, in his first home at-bat, Shohei Otani, for the first time in front of Angels fans, hits a home run. I mean, in, in apps, you know, it, it wasn't a bomb, it snuck out, but still, I mean, it's it just a flick of the wrist, it was such an easy, smooth swing, and we're not. It, it, it's time to stop wondering. I, I mean, I know it's only the first week of the season, and, and and baseball's first opening weekend has so many overreactions. It's not even funny. But this is one of those moments where you just kind of sit there and realize, let's stop questioning the kid and just enjoy it and watch it because he's doing this. He's playing both ways. He's playing it, it, in the field, hitting the ball, hitting home runs, and. He's striking guys out on the mound. So let, let's stop wondering and, and actually just enjoy it. Um, it's a lot of fun to see this. And, and I'm going to start staying up late to watch Shohei Otani because he's he's a lot of fun. Uh, meanwhile, uh, in the same breath, you know, I mentioned John Carlo hitting a home run in his first Yankee at-bat, hitting two home runs in his first game with the Yankees. But then his first home game doesn't go as well. You know, five strikeouts. He gets booed uh, on Tuesday night at Yankee Stadium. And, this is what the Yankees do. This is what Yankee fans do. This is what baseball fans do. Um, you know, they expect a lot out of their team. They're very passionate. And similar to Cubs fans, Red Sox fans, uh, Cardinals fans, they, Dodgers. They'll maybe not Dodgers, but they boo when your team doesn't perform the way they're supposed to, and, and they expect greatness out of the Yankees. And uh, so, you know, I, I can't really say that I'm surprised by that. Fortunately for him, uh, Didi Gregorius had a big game the other night, and, and the Yankees ended up winning. But it's just really entertaining to me to watch fans do this. You know, go from, oh my gosh, you know, on opening day, John Carlo for MVP, he hit two home runs, drove in like five, six RBI, and then in his first home game, he strikes out five times. So it, it, it's 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 feast or famine with John Carlo. We've talked about this. Yes, he hit 280 last year, but he also strikes out a lot. He's going to hit a lot of home runs, but he's also going to strike out a lot. Same with Greg Bird, Gary Sanchez, and Aaron Judge. So the Yankees may lead, may break records for team home runs. They may also break records for team strikeouts. It's just how it works. So uh, don't freak out too bad if you're a Yankee fan. Uh, John Carl is going to be just fine. Bad home debut for him, uh, certainly, but he's going to be just fine. No need to freak out about that. Uh, get to your listener questions, which, as always, you guys can submit throughout the week. You can find us on uh, on Facebook, Press Row by Public House Media. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram, at Press Row PHM. Email the show, PressRowPHM at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter as well at Chris Heimel, C-H-R-I-S-H-E-I-M-A-L-L. Uh, first question here, uh, Derek in Alabama. 
Uh, what is LeBron doing trying to tell Nick Saban that he can't have his own show called Shop Talk? Uh, I don't know if you guys saw this, but this is one of the more interesting stories of the week. Um, so the Alabama Crimson Tide football program debuted a internet series the other day um, called Shop Talk, uh, where it started last week where Nick Saban sits down with former Alabama um, players in a barbershop you know, style, barbershop setting, and, and they just talk. You know, they talk football, they talk career, they talk whatever it is. Um, and it's called Shop Talk. And the first one was with Nick Saban and, and his former wide receiver, Julio Jones, who, of course, now plays for the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, apparently, LeBron's multimedia company, Uninterrupted, sent a cease and desist letter to Alabama, citing, quote, citing concerns over copyright infringement, trademark rights, and intellectual property because LeBron apparently started a show last year, and I'll be 100% honest, I did not know about this, started a show called The Shop. Um, where Draymond Green and others will actually sit there and talk in a barbershop. So they're basically, if, if Alabama doesn't stop doing their show called Shop Talk in a barbershop setting, LeBron's company is going to sue the Alabama Crimson Tide for copyright infringement uh, and trademark rights for this place called Shop Talk. Listen, if, <laughs> if LeBron is gonna and his company are going to start claiming intellectual property over people sitting in a barbershop and talking and people videotaping it, he's going to have to sue a lot of people because this is what happens. This is what they do. I mean, you think about a generic setting where people actually go in public and have a conversation, and that's the show. It's, it's, it's one thing if the questions and the graphic design and the studio setup are exactly the same. It's another one if the and I don't want to say the coincidences because everybody steals from everybody's idea. It's a copycat world. There's no doubt about that. Um, but if it's called this, if it's the same exact title, if it's the same exact setup, if it's the same exact graphics, music, questions that are asked, then you have a little bit of an issue. But for LeBron's company to be doing this is just a, it's a little ridiculous in my mind. Um, and I don't know if it's LeBron so much as it is his company, which was founded by his uh, his buddy Maverick Carter. He the two of them founded it, but it's it's so strange, um, which it, it's just weird. Uh, the, this is from the actual letter. Your continued exploitation of Shop Talk infringes uninterrupted copyright, trademark rights, and other valuable intellectual property rights in quote the shop, and significantly damages uninterrupted commercial prospects for the shop. Um, First off, there have only been two letters of the shop. There's a third one happening right now. And if this is going to be a weekly thing for Alabama, they might have a better shot than LeBron uh, than LeBron's company. But again, I don't know how much of this is actually about LeBron. And I didn't know about it. I mean, I didn't know about it. I don't know if you guys knew about it. It's been going on for a year, and they've only had two episodes for LeBron for Uninterrupted. So not, not the greatest argument there, uh, but just something ridiculous and I have no idea why it's actually happening uh Brandon in Baltimore why is everybody so upset about Cisco bunting against the twins uh this happened uh, on Sunday in case you didn't know Sunday in Baltimore the Orioles were down seven nothing to the Minnesota Twins in the ninth inning and the Twins put a shift on against uh catcher Chance Cisco and he bunts down the third baseline beating the shift here's the reason why everybody is upset and you don't have to agree with it you really don't um, but it, it's, it's an unwritten rule in baseball. And this is one of the other big issues in the sport is that there are too many unwritten rules. 
But when you're down 7 nothing in the ninth inning and there's a shift on, bunting against the shift is kind of a cheap way to keep the game going. It, it, it's kind of a Bush League move. And, and that's why people are upset. It's similar to... Uh, I, I'm trying to think of the right way to say it. You know, it's similar to, I guess, um, you know, you don't like a uh, a catch uh, an umpire's strike zone, so you intentionally get crossed up on the signs, and the and the umpire gets hit with like a changeup or something like that. You know, it, it's one of those bush league moves that just shouldn't be done. It's like bunting for a hit with a no hitter going. I mean, it's it's. It, it, it's not saying just roll over and, and die and, and, and take the loss, which you don't want your players to do that, but it, it's it's something different. Um, and, and I'm looking through here, and, and you look at some of the things that they said. Um, that uh, So Twins pitcher Jose Barrios uh, said afterwards, I don't care if he's bunting. I just know it's not good for baseball in that situation. That's it. Uh, Cisco said, I'm just trying to mess with the timing of the game. He was kind of tough. He was kind of going through the lineup just trying to do what I can to get on base. They were playing the shift right there, so they gave it to me. If they're going to shift, I have to take it right there in that spot. We got bases loaded right after that, a couple home runs away from tying the game. Um, bases loaded, and Adam Jones or Jonathan Scope hits a home run right there. We're a couple runs away from being back in it. I, I completely understand why people are upset, while or, why Orioles fans are upset, that everybody else is upset, because it is a little ridiculous, but at the same time, it's a very cheap way and a kind of a bush league way of getting on base in that situation. So I don't fault Cisco for doing it. You want your players to do everything they possibly can. I just know that 100% it's one of those unwritten rules in baseball that gets everybody a little up in arms about it. So you don't have to agree with it. Just understand that that's why everybody is upset. Uh, last question here, uh, Jessica, in Philadelphia, how much of a chance are you giving the Sixers in the playoffs? Are you buying in to Philadelphia. Well, right now it's kind of hard not to. I mean, they've they've won double-digit games. They're playing the best out of anybody in the Eastern Conference right now, and they're they're battling with Cleveland for that three spot, which kind of changes. I mean, Philadelphia and Indiana would be a great matchup in the uh, in the first round. So would Philadelphia and Miami if that's what ends up happening, or Philadelphia and Washington. But um, I, I give the Sixers a lot of uh, credit here. I don't think they make. The NBA Finals, I wouldn't be surprised at all if this is a team that goes and upsets Boston or Cleveland or Toronto and makes the conference championship. Um, I mean, Ben Simmons is playing very, very well. Joel Embiid is the big question mark. I mean, how much is he uh, you know, going to be able to play throughout the rest of the season? How much is he going to be able to actually um, contribute? But again, I look at some of their games that they've won recently, and it's against... The Knicks, the Nets, the Hornets, the Magic. Um, the, they, they've beaten the Knicks and Nets and Hornets th- uh, each twice. Um, the Timberwolves, they beat by 12. They beat the Magic once. They're not really playing great competition. They're just playing really, really well and beating teams they should. So I give them a puncher's chance, most definitely. Um, but the, the biggest questions become... You know Joel Embiid uh, and how well he's going to be able to play after the facial contusion. Um, you know JJ Redick uh, is, is he going to continue to shoot the way he's shooting? Ben Simmons is he going to continue to keep playing at a high level? Uh, and then Markel Fultz. I mean, if he can run the point the right way, I definitely get Philadelphia a shot. They definitely have an opportunity here to make some noise, go deep into the playoffs. I don't know if they make 
the NBA Finals. I don't even know if they make the Conference Finals, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if they go out there and actually beat a team that maybe they shouldn't beat and and uh, and and make some noise. So, thank you guys as always for your questions. You can find um, uh, us on Facebook Press Row Podcast by Public House Media. You can tweet or Instagram your questions to us at Press Row PHM. Email the show Press Row PHM at gmail dot com. Don't forget you can always find me on Twitter as well at Chris Heimel. Share, subscribe, rate, review, share us uh, with your friends uh, on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com, and Stitcher.com. Don't forget to check out thephmedia.com, and you can check out our new store there. We got a lot of fun stuff uh, there on the store. Go get yourself some Public House Media swag, some Press Row gear. Support the show, support the network, and help uh, continue to bring this show to you guys. We always appreciate your support as well. One final note I do want to mention there is a documentary on Saturday on HBO Films uh, titled Paterno with Al Pacino documenting the and really talking about the last two weeks of Joe Paterno's career in Penn State. It's going to be interesting. I hope you watch it with an open mind and just try to enjoy it from a cinematic sense and don't go in there expecting an aha moment for Joe Paterno. Um, but I really hope you do that. Big thanks to Steve Demiglio, USA Today Sports, as well as Wade Groot of Ming Magazine talking UFC 223 and, of course, the Masters. Enjoy the weekend, guys. We'll be back with you next week uh, here on the show on Public House Media. And as always, I'm Christian Heimel. I'll see you on Press Row.